turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. That's a, essentially a biblical talk for you made me do it. For I ought to have commended, be, I ought to have been commended by you. But in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. So this really you know, if you were here two weeks ago when we were going through this, this will make a lot of sense. Basically, to summarize, Paul bragged in the last piece of, of Scripture before this on all the things that he had gone through, all the things that he had done, and everything that he was teaching. And he, he said, I'm doing this from a perspective that I'm real. I've gone through stuff, and that sort of proves. Think of it this way. If you said you believed in something unto death, but when death came, you ran, I would say, well, you're fake. But if you said, I believe in this unto death, and then you died from it, which Paul actually did several times. He died from uh, the things that were, were put in front of him, and then he came back to life and went back to teaching. So and you don't have that going for you, neither do I. But we can say most assuredly that uh, God... He puts things in front of us, we go through it, and by that, we see that our faith is real. And you test yourself. And that's what this passage is going to be all about. So he says, well, I have become a fool uh, in this boasting. You made me do it. And he laid all that out before. Verse 12, truly, he says, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. So he says simply, you guys saw the miracles in me that typically accompany um, apostles. For verse 13, for what is it, uh, for what is in it which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you, forgive me this one wrong, is what he's saying there. In other words, you saw the miracles, and he's being sarcastic in verse 13. He says, the church in Corinth, you're just like every other church, except that you're not having to pay Paul to come teach. So he says, oh, you're, you're just like every other church. You've got everything going, except this one thing. You never paid me a penny for coming and for teaching you guys. And then he says, well, forgive me this wrong. In other words, and if we read through First and Second Corinthians, we get the whole scoop. They had a problem with paying him. So what did, how did he address that issue? He didn't take any pay. He knew that was going to be a stumbling block to this particular church, so he said, keep your money. I want you to hear what I'm saying because that's the truth here. It's not about the money. That's a good way to be. I wish there was more pastors like that today. And he's never said that it's wrong to pay your pastor. In fact, in, the, in Philippians, we see that they were commended because they were supporting Paul. So it's not that he had a problem you know, taking love gifts, taking the care of the church and all to do what he was doing. But if it was going to be a problem, he said no. And that's where they were with Corinth. Verse 14, he says, Now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. Now it tells us something. He's been there twice. I will not be burdensome to you, for I don't seek yours but you. In other words, he's repeating again, I don't seek your stuff. I just want you in your heart. It's the heart of a pastor. I used to not understand that. You know, I'm... I come from a ranching background, a cowboy. That's what I was for you know most of my uh, days and and uh, working outdoors. Sort of a rough environment, you know, rough work crew, um, and 
you know, I didn't, I didn't really understand love in its entirety. I loved steak. I like barbecue. I'd even go so far to say I love it. Um, and I love my wife. But, uh, you know, besides that, and I don't, it's not the same love. It's a different kind of love. But, you know, I love those things. But if you said, well, what about your church? Do you, do you love? No. I barely even like them. You know, and, uh, truly. I mean, when uh, younger years, I, I barely even liked most of them. And uh, I just went because the Bible says you have to. And, you know, something changed. As, as God called me and said, I want you to teach well, there, there's this new crazy love. And it's not a love like I've got to get together and we're all bosom buddy friends. Because if I look out across here this morning, you know, some of you I know pretty well, but in the context of our Christian brotherhood, that's really where I know you and where I've come to love you. And so during the week when I'm looking at the word, I'm trying to look and see your faces and go, well, I have some insight because, you know, today with social media and, and, you know, all the good gossip and everything that goes around, you know, you, you know sort of what people are going through somewhat. You, you know, there's this happening in their lives or this or that. And as I'm reading the Bible, I do see those things, but I don't try to preach at you. My thought is, Lord, how do we encourage said person and this person and that person just to walk with you? and to have a relationship like I have with you. Not to be pious, but I want you to grow. And that is Christian love. It's, it's a love for one for another that you, you want to pull everybody together and encourage the saints to love the Lord. So he says that that's what he's got for the church. He doesn't seek their stuff. He doesn't want their money, but, but you. There, there's something else going on. For he says the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now, he's saying something that we all understand in, the, in an inheritance form. You know, I don't save up money and put things aside thinking, well, you know, when I die, my parents can get this. And like, well, that's backwards. It's, it goes the other way. Uh, your kids inherit the things that you have. And that's how it is in the spiritual context. If God gave me something, he didn't give it to me for me to digest it, put it inside me, and then die with it. Uh, he's very clear in the New Testament. He intends it to be like a race. You ever see the, a baton race, you know, where you make the lap and then you hand the baton off. That's sort of how you do in the Christian circles. We run a lap and then right before we die, we go, there you go, you take it now. And you give the baton of, in uh, the baton, what, what is that? It's our faith. It's everything that we walk through. You know, look at Hebrews chapter 11. It's the, the faith chapter. And then at the end of that, starting into chapter 12, he starts saying, um, there's this great cloud of witnesses. And what are they? They're the people that have gone before us in the faith. And you know, what gets me through hard times is not necessarily cute sayings, uh, all of that stuff. It's, it's the stories, though, of those who have walked through hard times before us. We've got 2,000 years in the church of stories of the saints, of people that have walked through all these things before us. It's really pretty cool. And that's what will get us through it because we realize that this Bible, it's real and it's true. That's why I love the Old Testament stories. The New Testament's a doctrine. You know, it's, it's what do we believe, some storyline. But you go to the Old Testament and you see God in action. And I kind of like that. It's, it's the raw deal of people putting their faith in God and what it looks like in real lives and real stories. 
So he's saying this is a baton race. We hand it off, verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Kind of a sad verse. True in a lot of churches um, where the, uh, the pastor, the one teaching, feels very unloved, yet he's loving on the church. Uh, and he feels that way with Corinth. Again, you have to know their history. They were just, they were, they were absolutely spiraling in sin. And I'll tell you this, you know, in the world when you see a friend and they just start spiraling out of control, um, you know, and they're on drugs or this or that, or just their, their, uh, their person, I mean, they're just spiraling out of control, you feel bad for them, but you kind of just move away from them and let them crash and burn. That's what the world does. In the Christian sense, what we do is we see that person that starts a spiral for whatever reason, and we try, and we put months into trying to bring that person back if we love them in the church. That's what we do. Galatians 6 one says we restore such a one. So people are going to fall away, and then we're here to try to restore that person. We pray for them. The Bible tells us, pray for your enemies. Um, and so we believe that. And that's how we live, and that's how Paul was living in this church. It was a hard church. Um, I'm very thankful, you know, this morning. Uh, I'm, I didn't look at this this week and go, boy, I'm going to whack them, you know, when I get there to church Sunday. I actually look at you guys, and, uh, you know, we've had a hard year. Uh, this year, I think if you live in the United States, you've had a hard year. It's just been full of trials from so many sources and I, when I look at you guys, I see warriors for the Lord. Some of you might be shot full of holes, but you're warriors for the Lord, and you made it. Um, we're coming up on December, so you're going to get the sticker. You know, I survived 2020, and we're going to move on. Um, you know, and that's coming, I, I'm telling you, the physical world, we've had trials. But all of you know that the, the physical trials we've gone through have mirrored in each one of your minds a battle that has raged in your soul this year. And, you know, everybody here, when I start knowing what you've gone through this year, you're like, yeah, it's been tough in here. In other words, the enemy's been doing battle with us. And you know what? I'm so happy to be here today for myself and for all of you guys. We're still here. And so... I think when I read through this, I feel sorry for Paul, but I'm glad that currently I'm not in that category. In our church, we're, we're here, we're fighting, and that we're looking forward to telling other people about Jesus. Be that as it may, he says in verse 16, I didn't burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. So he didn't take their money, but he wrote this long letter, and he caught them in that is what he's essentially saying. Did I take advantage of you by any of those who I sent to you, he says. So he says, well, let's look at this. Um, I sent some people, Titus, Timothy, different ones, to the church there. Did I send them and say, get them? Nope, he didn't do that either. Or collect money while you're there. He says, nope, I didn't do that. I, he says, or verse 18, I urged Titus. I sent our, our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Nope. Did we not walk in the same spirit? In other words, Titus and the things that he said and did, they looked a lot like me, right? Did we not walk in the same steps? That's spiritually, we, we taught and did the same things. Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ. I underlined that because that really meant something to me. We speak before God. 
Anytime that you're in ministry or even at home talking to your kids, you're not just talking to them. You're, you're speaking before God. He's listening. And in Christ. What does that mean? You're before God, so he's watching what you say. In Christ means it should be Jesus speaking through you. You see, that's how, that's how our conversations should go. Every meeting that I do, whether it's you know before our service today, we had a meeting with the, those involved in the ushers and greeters. And you know what? I prayed before I went into that. And I said, let's get God's work done here today and may Jesus be speaking through me. I always want to be the, the feet and the hands of Christ. Back 20-something years ago, there was a, I know they've changed it now, but we used to have, there, there, there's these little bracelets that came out, uh, and it was the acronym, What Would Jesus Do? It was on there. I don't know if those, those probably aren't still a thing. Probably just dated myself. <laughs> Fooey, I always do that. Anyway, that was pretty good, though, because it's like, you know, we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ. What would Jesus do? Mirror that. We're not trying to fake it till we make it, but in doing so, we're obeying Christ. So it really is just a simple thing of just do these things. So, we speak before God in Christ, good for all of us. But we do all things, beloved, for your edification. We don't do it to bat you over the head. That's why I don't preach against things. I always come in here going, well, we've had it tough this week already. You don't need a pastor that sits here and pounds the pulpit and tells you how you're doing it all wrong. Guess what? You already know you're doing it all wrong. That's why we're here. So we want to be edified. In other words, we want to be encouraged to go in the world and go, even though we're messing things up, even though we're human, we have hope in Jesus Christ. So that's what we're here to do. We encourage one another. Uh, So he says, verse 20, For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. (laughs) Now what is that? He's basically saying, if I don't like how I find you when I get there, you're not going to like me either. It's kind of like a uh, John Wayne movie. Uh, you know, I'm going to show up and we're going to set some things right. So you're not going to like me if I don't like you. Lest there be, he says, I, this is the, the list of things I don't want to find in your church, in your people. Here's the list. Contentions. Are there any contentions? Get them gone. Any jealousies? No jealousy is good. Outburst of wrath. That means uh, the word there is dynamite. In other words, you didn't know it was going to blow, and then there she blew. You know, it's one of those kind of things. Like, are you one of those kind of people that just, in other words, flies off the handle? That's not a Christian demeanor. And he says, that really should stop being a part of who you are. How is Paul writing a letter know this? I would suggest that he's probably been written letters previously saying, you'll never guess what so-and-so's doing. So he's gotten a lot of this. You know, they didn't have texting back then, so they just wrote letters. But gossip was still got there. It's just a little slower uh, than today, but it was still there. So that's the short outburst of wrath, not good. Remember, Jesus was angry, but he didn't sin. The Bible says be angry and don't sin. So anger is an emotion. You can be angry for the right things and handle it correctly, or you can allow these outbursts to fly off the handle and, you know, it doesn't make you look good or the person you're mad at. Selfish ambitions. Boy, that one can get some of us because even in the church, we can have selfish ambitions instead of trying to make you be the best that you can be. See, my job is not to promote and tell you, I am the pastor. 
Do you know that? And I then see, start solidifying my position. I am this. No. What I should look at is and say, if you think I'm the pastor, then so be it. It's good enough. And you know what I want to do is make you to be the best at whatever God's called you to be. Paul told Timothy, don't forsake pointing out that gift in that other person. And that's what we do as Christians. Whatever we're leading, whether it's Sunday school, you tell them, look, this is something you can do and you can do it well. If it's youth, you've got a gift that's beginning. It's a spiritual gift. You're good at this or that. Uh, and so on and so forth. All the way up, we encourage people to be the best version of them they can be. And that's only through Jesus Christ. But that's what we do. Uh, so, no selfish ambitions. Backbiting. We all know what that looks like. Going around biting somebody in the back, stabbing them in the back. Uh, whispers. Whispering is never really a good thing. The idea is when you walk into a church and you see the little group in the corner, you know, and they're like, you know, and, and then we do it in a Christian way. Uh, now, I don't want to gossip, but I'm going to tell you this so you can be praying for them. Oh, that makes it okay. So then here we go. And we've got our Christian way of doing that. But, and I'm not saying don't share, but I am saying we need to think, is this gossip or is this a real prayer request? Something that this person really needs to know so we can lift this up. This is good. This is a good list to go, go through. Conceits. Uh, that word actually in the Greek means swellings. Oh, what does that mean? It means to be puffed up. Anybody in the church puffed up? Paul's saying, when I come, I'm going to stick a pin. You know, we're going to deflate that person. So the best thing to do, and we're going to get into that here in just a few verses, he says, examine yourselves. Better to deflate yourself before someone else does it, right? You know, it's kind of like having one of those old whoopee cushions. If you know somebody's going to get to you, it's best to deflate it yourself at your own choosing than to sit on it in front of everyone. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. I'm going to deflate it one way or the other. You can choose how embarrassing this is going to be. Uh, and then this word tumult. Now, that's not a word that uh, if you're younger here, you really use. That's an old uh, word. But it means a state of disorder. So he says, am I going to come to the church and just find a huge state of disorder? Well, what's the solution? Get in order. <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, a church, we should run a ship, whether it's small or large, with some order. And he just says, am I going to find your Christian walk in disorder? Are people going to be studying? Are you going to be... And I always judge it this way, you know. I loved it used to uh, out on the West Coast. That's where I met my wife. We were going to, to a, a Bible college out there. And... Uh, you know, I loved it in the Calvary Chapel churches back there uh, on the West Coast where they would, uh, you'd walk in and, and it, was, it was kind of surreal, but no digital Bibles back then. Everybody just, you know, paper Bibles. And at the beginning of a service, it was almost so loud, everybody opening their Bibles and getting all their writing stuff out and everything, that, that you just had to have a pause for a minute and let everybody get their Bibles opened. Um, and, and why do I mention that? Because you can come nowadays to church after church after church, and people will ask the question, oh, do I need to bring my Bible? Like, it's church. You mean you're not going to bring your Bible to church? What do you do at church? Well, we don't study the Bible. That's pretty sad. I wish we were going back towards the state of order where 
the Christians were learning their word. You know, we say we, we live by our Bible. We stand on our Bible. You need to be in your Bible. You, you can't live by the Bible if you don't know it. And this is, these are common things, but we judge God. God, you've let all this happen in my life, and this has happened, and that's happened. And he says, I gave you a manual. Do you know it? And interesting. So he says, uh, tumults, it's a state of disorder, and it's a disorder even in our own soul. It lets things start going wrong. He says, I come, I'm going to start setting the, all of this kind of stuff right. Lest when I come again, verse 21, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before, and they haven't repented of the uncleanness, fornication, lewdness, which they've been practicing. So then he says, even personally, some of you in Corinth need to straighten up. You need to stop living in uncleanness. That's just uh, uh, filthy living. Okay, that's what that means. It's just filthy living. What, what kind of jokes do you laugh at? What, what's in your mind? You know, um, are you excited about your latest porn subscription? I mean, is that you? He says, well, that shouldn't be named in the church. It needs to be cleaned up in your life. Uh, lewdness. The animal with lewd, uh, the, the idea with uh, lewdness is you're a party animal, uh, that you're, it, you're very debased in all your thinking. Uh, again, if you're that way in the world, I don't have a problem with you. I actually expect it out of you if you're in the world. He's coming and telling this to the church. His Christians, we're supposed to look different. If you want to be here and be part of his army, then clean up. You join the army, they've got a protocol for you. And they're going to they're gonna mash that on you whether you like it or not. And guess what? God's kind of the same. He's got these rules. He puts them here. Everybody argues with them, but it's the rules. I don't make them. I just report on it. Well, chapter 13. Now, this is a quick chapter. There's really just one verse that sticks out, but it's his closing remarks uh, to the book. Made a lot of sense to them then, I'm sure, reading it in their church. But we'll, we'll look at it real quick. This will be the third time I'm coming. The second time he's told us that. He says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So it's not just him. He says, there'll be others. We'll all be saying this. As I've told you before, and foretell as if I were present the second time, and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before, and all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. So he's saying this in duplicate, like, please clean this up before I get there. I don't want to have to set this in order and be sad. That's what verse 21 was saying. When I come, I'm going to be humbled in, because I'm going to be mourning and crying for, for where you guys are living and how think the church is and all. So he says, clean this up before. Verse 3, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. So they're saying prove that you're speaking on the Lord's behalf. Uh, and he's hoping that they change that before he gets there. Verse 4, for though he was crucified in weakness. So he says, it's this Jesus speaking through me. So let's look at Jesus real fast. He was crucified in weakness. So you say, I'm weak? Don't judge what I'm saying about what you see. Judge by Jesus in me, and Jesus himself was weak for a time, yet he lives by the power of God. Explain that, you know? For we also are weak in him. So he says, the way I look, it's, this is normal. We shall live with him by the power of God towards you. So he says, it's not about me and my weakness, it's about God in me. And he hopes that they can see that. Verse 5 is sort of 
It's the verse here, okay? It's really the verse for our whole study this morning. He says this to them after all of that. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Isn't that interesting? We're always saying, Lord, you prove yourself to me. He's going, nope. Why don't you prove yourself to you? Are you in the faith? Interesting. Then he says, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? You're always asking, Lord, prove that you're in me. And he's going, look in yourselves. Am I in you? I love how he turns that around. And you know, it's not up to me to look at you and decide if you're in the faith. It's not up to you because it's what we do in the church. We judge everybody else great. I bet you they're not really a Christian. I bet you they're not. And we start pointing the finger. And Paul would say, well, why don't you just examine yourself? Um, I find that very interesting. He wrote this to those in the church. How do you know? Um, And that's the thing. Like, Well, examine. Test yourselves. How? He's already laid it out in many verses, but basically it was this. Are you reforming from your sins? Where Where are you aimed? If you are stuck in habitual sins and you feel nothing and there's no change, then he's saying you need to look and see where you are with the Lord. Because if the Lord is real in your life, look at it this way, okay? I'm married to my beautiful wife. Now, if I was cheating on her, and Paul wrote this to me, examine yourselves. Are you really in your marriage? Uh, well, well, you know, gee, I don't know. No, I know. <laughs> you see, I know where my heart is. To reform means I'm going to move away from that relationship and towards the right relationship. You see, that's my aim. I would make that aim real clear. And with my wife, I'd make it real clear because I don't want to get in trouble. The doghouse is coming. So I would make that real clear. Well, God is saying essentially the same thing. The idols, the Old Testament, he always called the idols, you were cheating with him. He's a jealous God. And you're over here whoring after other gods. So he looks at it exactly how I just gave you that illustration. And he says, you need to put those things aside and chase after me. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you, the scripture says. So he says, test yourselves. What are you after in life? You, uh, some things, you know, you can look sort of like, um, um, what's, what's one of your uh, favorite things in this world? I don't know. Check out your bank account. It will tell you. It might be that somebody by the name of Bill is your favorite. But anyway, um, you know, for all of us, we have something that is our favorite, and it's where we spend our money. That's just on physical, earthly things. Well, in spiritual realm, if you're spending time in your word and in study to know God, study to show yourself approved unto God, Scripture says, what does that mean? That means you're a student of the word because you say, I love the Lord and I want to know. That's why you're here today. Because you said this morning in your heart, I want to make God a thing that I'm doing today. So it's testing ourselves. It's really quite simple. Do you not know your own self that Jesus Christ is in you? Well, unless indeed you're disqualified. In other words, unless you've already disqualified yourself and you know that Jesus isn't really there, you're just pretending. But I trust that you'll know that we're not disqualified. 
And again, last week's study, he went through all the things he went through to know Paul, Paul's doing this not because he's gaining money or anything else. He truly loves the people. He loves the Lord, and he's, uh, he's teaching the truth. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, nor that we should appear approved, but that you should do what's honorable, that though we may seem disqualified, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. We're glad when we are weak and you are strong. This also we pray that you may be made complete. And, uh, you know, he starts that with this phrase, now I pray to God. Now, different versions uh, will we'll put that differently, but in the Greek, that phrase there is so much deeper. Now I pray to God actually should have been, I constantly pray to God on your behalf that you're spiritually equipped. Really expanded, isn't it? That's what that means. Um, when he prays there, it's a specific prayer that you're spiritually equipped. Now that word equipped for the Greek, it's, it's getting a ship ready for departure. That's the word equip. So to me that just brings our whole day today into focus. We're, we're praying to God, praying that you're equipped, ready to depart, in other words, that you're not doing evil and then he goes through that whole little list, but it's, it's, that's interesting to me because the idea to be equipped, you know, it can also be getting uh, oneself ready for battle. And it's like, what is the church for? He's coming there to encourage these people and say, test yourselves, know that Christ is in you, and be equipping for what's coming. I'm telling you, if 2020's taught me one thing, it's that battles come. Whether you're ready or not, and you're all called to be Navy SEALs for the Lord. You're all called to put on the armor of Ephesians 6 and be ready to stand in that evil day. You need to become a prayer warrior. If you're wondering why you get to the end of this year, you're, you're shot full of holes, well, I'm going to suggest that your shield was thin. They shot through it, apparently. That's why we get shot full of holes, guys. Uh, you know, if you have your armor on, it would all bounce off. And I'm not saying I'm above it. I'm judging myself right along with you. Uh, I was shot full of some holes this year, you know, and uh, my family was. We we went through some things this year that I definitely learned. Well, there's some weaknesses. Some of them you can't control. We control how we handle them depending on our armor, but some things they just, man, they come. You know, trials come, and the fact that you're strong or weak in the faith doesn't mean that trials will or won't come. In fact, I'm learning that the stronger you are in the faith, the stronger the trial, it seems, that comes upon you. And that's, just, that's not you know, the Bible saying that. That's just my uh, look at life. You know, the, the reality wagon rolls in. Um, but here he, you know, he goes through this list. We'll, we'll read through this. Uh, he says, therefore, verse 10, I write these things being absent. And this is the closing, his closing words today with all that behind us. Lest being present, I should use sharpness. So I'd rather write this to you than being present with you saying this stuff. According to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Um, finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete, period. Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. It's an interesting way to start closing this. There's four admonishments there. One, 
become complete. Uh, that means perfect. You're like, oh, well, thanks, Paul. Be perfect. And that's, that's how, it, the idea is that's what we are working towards. Same word used in Matthew 4.21 for mending. Isn't that interesting? Why would it be mending one place uh, perfect in another? Galatians 6.1 uses the same word as restore. So restore, mending, perfect. What is this? I'm going to suggest that what he's saying is not to be perfect, but to be becoming perfect. As Philippians said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. He says, he says make Jesus our aim and let's be becoming perfect. Well, that's easy. That's a simple change today of, well, where I'm at, I'm becoming more cynical. This year could do that to us. I'm becoming more obsessed with politics. You know, that could happen this year. I'm becoming a germaphobe. That could happen this year. You're becoming something. All of us are. Or we could be becoming perfect with the Lord. And that's what he's saying in closing. Be becoming this perfection. The word for mending and restore, it's, it's sort of like setting a broken bone. That's how it's used there in Galatians. Think about it. You know, when you were a kid, you go break your arm, you get it set. The doctor didn't say, well, there it is, you're healed, you're perfect. He put a cast on it. And he said, it's going to hurt for a while as it's mending, right? Mending, restore. But, hey, you'll be good as new, you'll be perfect once it's healed up. Remember, that's what the doctor would say. And sure enough, six to eight weeks later, hey, this thing's working again. Mending takes time. You see a Christian that's mending, they're hurting. Your job and mine, feet and arms of Christ, is to put a cast on it. We say here, here's the word. Here's what the Lord would say to you. Give them time to heal. You know, an animal, if you're working with it and it's hurt and you poke it where it's hurt, it, if it's a cat, it turns around and it scratches you. You're like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, you know, you step on a cat's tail. What do they do? They don't turn around and say, hey, you're on my tail. They turn around, they hiss, they scratch, they try to crawl up your leg. They let you know you inadvertently got on their tail. Well, guess what? You come to church and you step on somebody's tail uh, and you find out they're hurt and they attack. And, and then you get mad. Well, we need to back off and go, they're mending. They're mending. Give God time to do the healing. Second thing in this verse, be of good comfort, he says. That word is encouragement, so that works with the first one. What Christian doesn't need to have good encouragement? Just choose to be that this coming year when you come to church. This year's been terrible. This is a great reset time to say, I'm going to show up, and if I don't have something good to say, I won't say anything at all. And I'm going to look for ways to encourage somebody, even if they're a goober. Just encourage them, you know? Seriously. I mean, just encourage somebody because the least person you know needs encouragement. You never know what that person's going to be. I'm old enough to know, like working at the ranch 20-something years ago, there were people I worked around. I won't say names. They may listen later. But uh, they were goobers when they were young. I'm telling you, they, they just couldn't do anything. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, bad things. Like they'd fill up with gas out of your gas tank, you know, and they wouldn't take the, the, the gas handle out of the gas tank and drive off. And you know, on a farm, you've got these big overhead tanks. So it's like, well, there went 3,000 gallons of fuel on the ground. You know, I mean, just, and I would think back then, these sort of individuals are never 
going to live. They're not going to make it. And you know what? Today, their bosses, they're in charge of things. They've moved on in life, and they've become something. And uh, they just needed some encouragement. So and it is in the Christian circles. So then he says the third thing, be of one mind. We're all different. We are. I mean, look at this church. We're all different, different backgrounds. But one common thing that binds us together is Jesus Christ. And he says that's our common ground. Why don't we this coming year, instead of looking for everything that makes you odd, because we could point that out all day, why don't we point the one thing out that brings us all together and live in that unity, and it's Jesus Christ. We can agree that we love Jesus, we love his word, and we're going to share Jesus. And the rest of it, iron sharpens iron, and it rubs on each other, and we'll kind of, it'll all come out in the wash, you know. Um, the fourth thing, live in peace. Our country needs that. <laughs> live in peace. You know, and let, let's let 2020 wash by, and let's move on and say, this unity, I want it. The encouragement, I need it. So do you. And living in unity and in peace, our country needs it and we need it. And we could demonstrate that to the rest of the world. Couldn't we? In other words, don't look up the news stories and go, you'll never guess what happened today. Unless it's a good story, try getting away from the news, actually. I I would recommend that. It's not helpful these days. Um, Let's be encouraging. These are good things. And then, of course, verse 12, everybody kind of hones in on this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. He didn't know about COVID, okay? So, um, and that's very cultural. I mean, in our church, we don't really agree. My thought in in our world today is, well, how holy is that kiss? Um, So we handshake and give people hugs and all that. That's fine. Again, not making a political statement with COVID. Um, All the saints greet you, he says in his closing the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So he ends his book. Now, in closing, and we've got a couple minutes here, I was reading a book one time by a fellow named Alan Redpath. He's gone home to be with the Lord, but he was a great theologian. And uh, he, in his commentary, when he was going through this on examining yourselves, he wrote a few things out, and I thought, this is so good. I'm going to share a few of these things with you. And it's just a list that he compiled of self-examinations. And these are just so good for us to go home and chew on them and start fixing on ourselves, you know, according to what the, the, uh, the Lord would say. But real quick, um, we have a tendency to exaggerate our life experiences, he wrote, and our life experiences with God rather than being honest. So with that in mind, do you confidentially pass on to others what was confidentially told to you? Hmm. That one gets a lot of us in the church. This question, can I be trusted? Do others see me? See, this isn't something that you can tell others, I'm trustworthy. Trust me. I always worry, you know, when somebody says, they start the phrase, well, honestly, like, so you weren't yesterday? I mean, really? Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Am I a slave to dress? I'm not, as you can see. Uh, I'll check that one off. 
Am I a slave to friends, to my work, or to habits? Or am I a slave to Christ? That's a good one. Am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? That one hits me pretty hard. I spent some days this year being self-pitying, you know. Did the Bible live to me today? That's not, did the Bible live in me? Oh, yeah, I did this or that. Did the Bible live to me today? That only happens if you read it. You read it and it speaks to you. Do I give the Bible time to talk to me daily? I think that one's so important. Give us this day our daily bread, you know, the Bible says. Um, and I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor. I can even tell you a little more than that. I study to present. So, you know, I will study what others have said. I'll study commentaries, uh, all of that, going through a piece of Scripture like we're going through this morning. That's just studying it. And I'm going, oh, that's a good point. Well, that's really going to get oh so-and-so there today. And that's, no, I don't. But, um, you know, I'm studying it to present. That's so different than studying it to learn it and to say before you read it, Lord, speak to me right here today. And then just see what he has to say. He always talks about things that I didn't really care about. That's really funny because I, I, I think my problems are, are first and foremost, God. And as you talk to me, in fact, here's what I do. God, I want you to talk to me about this problem, so I'm going to read here. And God says, no, that's not what I want to do. I'll pick the subject matter. You just start reading. And God talks to me about something that I didn't even know I really wanted to talk to God about. You know what I mean? Uh, Let God talk to you about those things. Hear the Lord. I think that's a great one. Uh, On his list, he keeps going. Do you enjoy prayer? That's not just do you pray, because a lot of people, I pray. Do you enjoy prayer? That's a self-examination to go like, well... I need to work on that because, no, I just pray out of obligation. I don't enjoy it. Um, When did I last speak to someone else with the idea to lead them to Christ? That's a good one. Are we telling others about our faith? Do I pray about the money I spend? Hmm. Does God want to be in our finances? Maybe. Do you pray about money that you don't have. In other words, do you pray about having money that you don't have, money, things that you can't afford? Are you, is that where your aim is? I think that's pretty good. Do I disagree with God on anything? That's a good one. Sometimes I do, actually. I don't like how he does some things. I have to come to terms with that. So do you. We all do. Do I allow things that go against my own conscience to go on in my life? That's a good one. I disagree with a lot of things in my life, actually, (laughs) that I need to change. I'll do that later. That's what we all say. Am I defeated in my life in any area? Yes. We have areas where the walls are down. I love Nehemiah. You ever study through that? They come back in the land, and they're rebuilding the walls. And the little bands of raiders keep raiding Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, he finally says, all right, get a trowel in one hand, 
So they're putting mortar on the wall and stacking rocks up and put a sword in your other hand. So they're their own security team while they're trying to rebuild the walls. And what that is is, you know, when you start rebuilding the walls in your life, the enemy's going to send these little bands and they're going to say, no, no, don't rebuild those walls. And you're going to have a fight. As soon as you start trying to rebuild anything in your life, it's going to be a fight. The Bible says it. You're going to be defeated and need to rebuild walls. Uh, He says areas of defeat are unforgiveness, anger, being touchy, stress, depression. He says these are defeated areas. Next question, how do I spend my spare time? That's a good one. This year we had a lot of it. That, that may be a large answer for some of you. Am I proud? Do I thank God that I'm not as other people as a Pharisee? Sometimes we do that. Instead of comparing ourselves to Jesus, we go, boy, sure glad that I'm not like that guy. You know, so that's not the way. Is there anyone I fear or hold a resentment or grudge against, disown or I criticize? If so, what are you doing about it? I've got a list, you know. I've got a list of people that I have to work through all the time and and work to fix. Do I grumble or complain constantly? Guilty. Uh, For some, it's their favorite indoor sport, though, you know. I mean, really, it's like round number, you know, 365 will come up on the end of the year. It sits every day. And, And lastly, is Christ real in your life? Uh, those, these, are, these are great things to go through. And I'm telling you, you know, as your pastor, I'm not above that. I failed most of those, <laughs> you know, most of those. And so will all of you guys. It's, it's t- the aim to be perfect, not to be perfect. So I want to encourage you guys, you know, as we're coming into, I hope, a new season of life, uh, as we end this year, we come into next year, we ended this book today, you know, we're coming into new things. You can be who you want to be moving forward. Jesus Christ has empowered you to do it. The holdup is not the Lord. The holdup is you in your life. It, you can't even blame it on somebody you came to church with today because we all want to look at our spouse and go, you're my anchor, you know. And it's not. You know, we have to take ownership of our own life. It's not your mom or it's not your dad. It's not your kids. It's not... It's you. We each take ownership of our life and say, Lord, I want to examine myself and I want to be more real this next year with you and reap the benefits.